Welcome to the C3 Church podcast. Here at church, we are passionate about people and helping them in their walk with God. We hope this Sunday message speaks to you today. I'm excited. We've got the Roman series starting next week. Andrew Allerton's going to be with us to kick it off. If you've not got your books, you can get hold of those. Romans is one of those books. It's so rich. It's wonderful. It covers so much about life. So you're going to have a great time with this series. Uh, But this week, we have uh, our Pastor Steve coming to share our word for this year or our phrase for this year that we're holding as a church. So let's welcome Pastor Steve to the platform as he shares for us this morning. I promise you, she doesn't call me Pastor Steve at home. That's true. Well, welcome, uh, C3 Colchester, C3 Berries and Edmonds, C3 Online, and of course, across the UK, lots of prisons that are joining us in our services. We welcome you in the name of Jesus. Happy New Year to every single one of you. Here we are, 2024. I don't know about you, I love Christmas. I put all my energy into it. But as soon as we finish the celebrations, I'm ready to get going again. I want to get going again. There's work to do. There's stuff to do. And I'm glad we're back at it. And I'm going to share with you, as Anne said, what we do every year. We, we pray and ask God, is there a, a word that we should have for the year? A word that will reflect what we want to emphasize throughout the year. Last year, our word was sent. It was all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. We can never move far away from that issue of making disciples. It's core to all we do. But this year, as we prayed, we had a word that was going round in our head, and we, we didn't feel fully content with just the word. We wanted to expand it a little. And so we've done that with this phrase that you can see behind me, and that's what we're going to use as our word for the year. And it's, it, it's saying what we are, and it's saying what we want to increasingly become. So it's saying we are this, but let's do it more. And it's the phrase, live life generously. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, so we know it's right, absolutely, the, uh, the adverb generously the, has to do with character, and it goes like this. It means to live and act in a way that shows a willingness to give money, help, kindness, etc., especially more than is usual or expected. And related words that it associates with that uh, word generously is this, abound, abundance, copious, free-flowing, fruitfulness, lavishly, liberally, manifold, plentiful, profusely, prolific, richly, superabundance, teemingly, which, in case you aren't aware are all words that describe our God, the nature of our God. Our God is super abundantly gracious. Our God is kind and merciful. Our God is compassionate. Our God is all loving. Our God is amazing. He's magnanimous in his love towards us. You only have to look at creation to know God is generous. I got a book, or did I buy this for myself for Christmas, uh, about fishing. And I've been going through it. I finished it last night. And I ticked off all the species that are mentioned in there that I've caught. I've caught about 30 different types of fish. Thank you for going wild. But do you know how many there are? How many species? 22,000 species of fish. And I've caught 30. That's because our God is super abundantly generous. 
There are, I looked up some other stats, there are 150 species of roses, there are 70, 750 species of butterflies, and 11,000 species of moths that have been recorded. And I hate to tell you this, I saw in the news uh, that there's a, 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 the biggest spider ever found in Australia. And for those of you that have arachnophobia, I'm sorry, but there are 35,000 species of spiders in the world. God, what are you up to? He's generous. And of course, the greatest gift of all, the most generous act God has ever given. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, that's generosity. That's generous on a whole another level. Listen to this verse, Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgivenesses of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And I want to suggest three ways this year where we can do a deep dive into generosity. And we'll come back to these as the year Goes. Number one, how about excelling in generosity with our words? Words are so powerful, hey? Look at this verse. This is in the Bible, so we can do it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. How about this? Generous talk only. Only words that are going to build. I've got a long way to go on this one. Anyone with me? How about be generous? with? Look at this. Judge not and you will not be judged. Oh, we're so good at judging. We are experts in this area. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You see, generosity comes in more forms than money to withhold judgment and condemnation and unforgiveness is to act generously. And in God's economy, it's rewarded in the way it's described there. If you give generous words, you'll get generous words back. It's a sowing and reaping. It'll be poured into your lap. Number two, how about this? How about being generous with our welcome? One church that I know had a rule, and I'd like us to do this. When the first three minutes after you've finished, you don't talk to somebody you know, you talk to somebody you don't know. What a great way to end a service. How about as being, listen, listen to this, you think what the scriptures say. Matthew 25, 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Our attitude is meant to be that of giving, not getting. As we give, so God gives back to us. But we're not here. Don't come to the meeting thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to get fed. And if I don't get fed, no, come, what am I going to give? Because in your giving, you'll find you get fed. It's the law of life. It's the law of the Word of God. Therefore, Romans 15, 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Ange mentioned what happened on New Year's Day. I've got to be honest. She, 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 she gave the sanitized version. I, what happened was a door got left open on New Year's Eve that should have been closed and was open all night. So what I thought was the building's been, everything's gone. All the PA. So I'm working in my, 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 in my mind on the way here. Who are we going to fire? 
because we've got to pay for all that PA that's been stolen. And it won't. So who are we going to make redundant? Because we've got all it. And I, I'm mad. She's so nice. I'm mad that that door's been left open. And we're going down to check that the building hasn't been absolutely. And then we come outside, and this couple are there, and they say to us, we want to know how to become Christians. And the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you grumpy beggar. <laughs> or words to that effect. Give, and, it sh- and I, I was rebuked. Give of your time and your energies and your talents. And give of your welcome. And to welcome them into the family of God. Tell you, that was a highlight of my Christmas. With one person face to face. To welcome into the family of God. I don't want my home to be my castle. I know that it, you know, it was used in history about making sure we have places of safety and such like, and that's wonderful. But I want it to be used, not to entertain, but to be hospitable. To be hospitable. Are you ready to welcome on a whole other level? Because I honestly believe 2024 could be a year where we see more people come to faith in Jesus. That, for me, confirmed the Lord is on the move. The Lord is on the move. Something's happening to welcome people who are not like me. I am bored of looking at me. I want to welcome people who aren't like me. Because I think that's what the Bible teaches in our hospitality of welcoming. When all all made out of tiki-taki and we don't all look the same, we are those that are diverse and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God. So how about welcome? And then this third one, our wealth. And I'm going to show you a video. It's a 21-minute video. It's the rest of the message from a guy who's talking about wealth. This man is dying. And he spoke to us in a leadership conference. So some of the confessi coming down. He, he spoke to us in a leadership conference. You'll hear that. And I, again, was stirred in my spirit. I want to be generous with all that God has entrusted to me because I'm a rich man. I'm a rich man. And probably so are most of you. So let's take a look at this from Richard Garnett about using our wealth, and I'll see you at the end. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I'm Richard, and I'm dying. And I thought I'd tell you my story. Um, I work in financial services, and one of my favorite clients, uh, their headquarters is in Brussels. And if you go into the men's toilets in their offices in Brussels, in front of each men's urinal is a sheet of A4. It's laminated for obvious reasons, and it has on it what's called their lessons from the loo. It's basically all the deals that went south where they've lost 20, 30, 40, 50 million, and the lessons that they've learned. So what I'd love to share with you is my lessons from the loo of life when it comes to money, so that you can help your people avoid making those mistakes. Um, I became a Christian when I was 16. Uh, For the first half of my life, first 20 years, God called me to be a professional actor. That didn't involve making a lot of money, you'll be surprised to know. Um, I was taught, give the first 10% to the church and the other 90% you can do with what you want. Actually, we couldn't afford orange juice, we couldn't afford biscuits, didn't amount to much. Um, And then in the late 90s, I was in Japan doing some Shakespeare. I'd been away from home for five months and uh, our third daughter was born and I cried out to God for a way to earn a living that didn't involve living out of a suitcase. And he very graciously answered my prayer. Um, I was asked, long story cut short, by the chairman of one of the largest companies in the world that I'd never heard of to 
kind of help him do his speeches and do his communication. And that started the journey of what we and my team do for the last 25 years. Basically, we help people um, persuade other people to give them hundreds of millions of pounds. And the challenge of that is I would find myself earning in half a day or a day what I had been earning in a week, two weeks, a month as an actor. What did I do with that? Well, 10% went to the local church. The rest of it, I'd been told, was mine to do with what I wanted. So what did I do? I looked around my church. I looked around my town where I live. I, um, without even thinking about it, I inflated my lifestyle. What had been holidays in the UK became holidays abroad. What was wool became cashmere. The kids went to private school. Um, we moved house every five years because we could, up and up and up the property ladder. Uh, and after a while, I felt a deep disquiet that that was the right thing to do. And um, you know, Jesus tells the story about the farmer who has excess at the end of the year and builds barns. Can you remember the word that Jesus uses to describe that farmer? A fool. I was that fool. I came to the conclusion that I was a living embodiment of foolishness. Now, Jesus has some advice, actually, kind of at the back end of that story. He says, be rich towards God. But what did that actually look like? So I started to do some research, and what I found staggered me. Uh, if you take evangelical Christians in the world, 20% of them reside in the West, let's call it North America, Europe, the UK, and 80% reside in the rest of the world. So you've got the wealthy church and the poor church. The wealthy church, evangelical Christians in the, in the West, guess every year what proportion of our income we give away. Two and a half percent. I came to the somewhat shocking conclusion that I was one of the greediest generations of evangelical Christians ever to inhabit planet Earth. We give our two and a half percent to our local churches on the whole. They spend roughly, statistically, 50% on buildings, 25% on a staff team, 10% uh, on missions. Some of that goes abroad. Net, net, what does that mean? That means for every 100 pounds that God gives to evangelical Christians in the West, 25p goes outside the West, one quarter of 1%. And this didn't strike me as fair. So what was my responsibility to that? I didn't consider myself wealthy. I basically drove a Ford Mondeo estate. I had clients who earned 100 million a year. They were wealthy, I wasn't. And I did the research. Guess how much you have to earn to be in the top 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet? 30,000 pounds a year. I was earning more than 30,000 pounds a year. I was at the top of God's financial pyramid. If God wanted to fund his work around the world, I'd be the first person that he came to. So what did I do? I opened a stewardship account. We upped our giving percentage. And then the question was, well, who do we give to? So at the time, my local church was raising four million for a building refurbishment program. And I can remember saying to my vicar, I'm not sure if God had four million spare, he'd invest it in that. Now, leaving aside the extraordinary hypocrisy of me saying that, having moved from a perfectly fine four-bedroomed house to the five-bedroomed house that was my doer-upper, leaving aside that hypocrisy, I still thought that was the right thing to say. So we did support our local church, but also we determined that most of it would go overseas because that's where the huge opportunity for the gospel is and that's where the massive needs are. Uh, so where? So my clients are very smart investors. 
And one of their principles are invest in great people doing great things. So that's what I prayed for, great people doing great things. There was a girl in our church. She'd just come back from her gap year. She was 18 years old. She went to Romania, and in her gap year, she found five- and seven-year-olds sleeping off the streets, so she started an orphanage in her gap year. She wanted money. There was money in our pot, in our stewardship pot. We supported her. Then my business partner took me to Uganda, uh, to an orphanage there. I didn't want to go to Africa, frankly. Uh, the idea horrified me, but he dragged me there. He bribed me to go there, and what I found astonished me. Um, I found couples who'd moved into the African bush. This was at the height of the AIDS crisis, Christian couples. And they built a house, and the house had three rooms. In the first room, they put seven beds for the seven orphan girls they adopted. In the second room, they put another seven beds for the seven orphan boys they adopted. In the third room is where they lived. And I suddenly had this epiphany. I'm not part of some irrelevant subculture of Christians in the UK believing weird stuff. I'm part of a global network of inspirational, extraordinary people doing amazing things. And they could do with my help. And I had enough money in the pot to help them. I can remember taking my daughter there, and we went on holiday to one of Uganda's national parks. It's beautiful. And when I was on holiday, I suddenly thought, I wonder if these kids have been on holiday in their own country. And I said to Sam, how much would it cost to actually take these 80 kids and their parents community of 150 people on holiday, probably the only holiday of their life, to one of their own national parks. And he gave me the number. Do you know what the number was? It was less than we would spend on a bog-standard two-week holiday in Europe for a family. And there was money in the pot. Jesus said something really interesting about money. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. When I invested in that holiday, it gave me such joy. Such joy, and it still does to this day. And the more I invested in his kingdom, the more joy I got, more than the joy of a new house, a foreign holiday, whatever it might be. Uh, and then somebody said, why don't you meet a man called Eric in Paris? Uh, we'll meet at a bistro. Never a hard thing to do, to have a meeting in a Parisian bistro. I went there, and I said, Eric, what are you doing? He said, uh, this was the beginning of the 2000s. I want to use the internet to convert the French. Good luck with that. How are you doing that? Uh, this was at the beginning of the internet, by the way. So my corporate clients were using the internet, but I hadn't met a Christian who was doing it. He said, I'm converting the gospel into like a seven-minute YouTube video called The Father's Love Letter. I'm then strategically using Google AdWords to draw people to watch it. And when they watch it, they can click on a link if they want to become a Christian. I went, that's smart, so what are you finding in terms of conversion rates? He said, for every 100 people who watch it, four people say they want to become a Christian. I went, that's extraordinary, and what's your vision? He said, well, I want to translate it into the other major languages. There are 30 of them. English, Spanish, Farsi, Japanese, Chinese, etc., etc." I went, how much would that cost? He gave me a number. There was money in our part for it. I, and I'll tell you, I came out of that meeting, and I'll tell you how I felt. Imagine, it's about 20, 30 years ago, you're in Harvard. Next door to you is a strange man called Mark Zuckerberg. And he wanders in one day and he said, I'm going to start this thing. I've got a weird name for it, Facebook, but I need some cash. And if you give me some cash, I'll give you shares in the business. If you knew then what you know now, what would you sell in order to get shares, be the first investor in Facebook? I would sell everything and wander around in underpants for a year. I'd persuade my parents to sell their home 
cash in their chips, that's what I felt like. My, my mind space moved from, oh, what's the minimum percentage I can get away with before God? And what is the most I can get for eternal treasure? Here's what I think. God pays us in, this is chocolate money. Can you see this? It's what you consume at Christmas. All the money we have, this side of heaven, is chocolate money. We can consume it or when we invest it globally in what he's doing, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, it becomes eternal treasure. And suddenly I was thinking, why should I spend 20 grand on a car when I can buy a bell banger for five and invest 15 for eternity? Long story cut short, I'll take you to 2005. Our marriage collapsed. I was feeling awful. What was my first response to that? I'll buy myself a holiday home. That'll make me feel better. I like the sea. I like golf. I get somewhere there. And then a friend rang me up and said, don't be stupid, Richard. You're self-medicating your pain. There are better things to do with the money. And there were. Uh, there's a devotional I love called God Calling. Two old ladies, about 100 years ago, anonymous. When they prayed, Jesus spoke to them and they wrote down, they wrote down what he said. And uh, every January the 5th, I'd read this. This is what Jesus said to them about money. Don't be afraid of poverty. Let money flow freely. I will let it flow in, but you must let it flow out. I never send money to stagnate, only to those who pass it on. Keep nothing for yourself. Hoard nothing. Only have what you need and use. This is my law of discipleship. I wanted to be brave. I wanted to be braver. I wanted to be like that. I wanted to live without a safety net. So I, I stopped paying into my pension fund and uh, I set my lifestyle and then I determined to give whatever the excess was away to invest it in the kingdom. I wanted to do that, but it was terrifying. Every January I'd feel the enemy say to me, Richard, because I'm self-employed, at the beginning of a year my diary's empty. Every January I'd feel the enemy say to me, you know this is the year you get found out. You know this is the year that nobody's going to ring you. And I'd felt Jesus saying to me, will you give me until Christmas, Richard? If you're on a park bench at Christmas, we can have a conversation. For 15 years, I was fearing that park bench, and I've got 15 of these paper diaries in my bedroom to prove that you cannot outgive God, that God meets your needs in every conceivable way. And that, for me, was really, really exciting to be part of that journey. And then I'll take you to 2014, Christmas Eve. I'm in a hospital in Watford, and a young man who looks like he's about 16, is actually a doctor, comes and kneels down, looks up into my eyes. That's never a good sign, is it? And he says, uh, you've got cancer. We think you've got cancer. On January the 5th, I was with an oncologist and they confirmed it. My cancer was mesothelioma. It comes from asbestos. They reckon it comes from asbestos in old theaters, actually. And uh, it's incurable. And they said, you've got about a year, 18 months to live. At that point, my son, who was in the meeting, had his laptop open. He said, Dad, I found it. I said, what have you found? He said, I found a mesothelioma joke. <laughs> the oncologist was somewhat surprised. I said, okay, what's the joke? He said, uh, how, how do you treat a patient with mesothelioma? As best as you can. <laughs> anyway, memorable moments. Uh, uh, since then, I've had chemotherapy, two uh, big operations, 60 rounds of immunotherapy, 60 rounds of radiotherapy. A couple of months ago, they said uh, the cancer's moved from the right lung to the left lung. 
it's um, stopped working, so we're going back to chemo. So I'm in the middle of chemo, so my brain's a fog, and I have to sit down. And here's my thought. The closer I get to death, the more grateful I am. Because I'll tell you this, if somebody's got a servant heart, I've got the opposite. I've been awful at talking about my faith to other people. I've been dreadful at inviting people to Alpha or Christianity Explored or whatever it might be. But the fact that Jesus gave me an opportunity to invest some of the money that he's given me in the first place, I mean, don't you find it fairly hysterical that a rather stupid unemployed actor is, is employed to advise people to persuade other people to give them hundreds of millions of pounds? I find that ludicrous. But the chance to make a difference. Uh, we have a cancer club at church. It's not the most popular club, to be fair. <laughs> I like it. We've lost a few. We've gained a few over the years. Um, uh, one of my friends, Sandra, is dying at the moment. And she said, the closer I get to death, everything drops away apart from two things. Love, the love that God has for me, the love that I have for others. And making a difference. Every day, can I make a difference? She coaches from her bed six people. She's an extraordinary woman. And I can resonate with that. The chance to make a difference is so important to me. A young man called Ed phoned me up a couple of years ago. He said, we found a people group in India that has no gospel presence at all. And we found 15 Indian evangelists who want to go full time to invest their time in reaching the gospel with them. I went, Ed, how much would that cost? He went, um, all in all, 15 full-time evangelists, unreached people group, um, 12,000 pounds a year. 12,000 pounds a year to change the lives of an entire people group. That really excited me. It still does. Let me end with three things I'd love to say to you. Number one, please encourage your people to be more generous. Do you know if... Western evangelicals gave not 2.5%, but 10%. Do you know how much more money would flood into the kingdom every year? I'll tell you. 100 billion pounds. That's 100,000 million pounds. That's the same that Putin is pouring into the war in Ukraine. Imagine that as a power for good across the West, across the world. But I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you to persuade them and convince them to be more generous of that reason, it's for purely selfish reasons. This side of heaven, I've known very few things that give more joy than being a part of what God is doing financially. You guys in the front line, I'm not. And in eternity, actually, we get this treasure. What is this treasure? John Lennox, who many of you know is a maths professor at, uh, at Oxford, lovely Christian man, and he's written a book on... Um, what to do when we invest our time and treasure and talent. And he uses the story that Jesus tells of the dodgy steward who used money to buy friends. And he says, when we invest our time and our treasure in what God is doing, we, we make friends. We make friends. I have friends all over the world by God's grace. And I'm so looking forward to getting to heaven because we're going to sit down and I'm going to hear their stories. And the fact that I've been able to play some tiny, 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 minuscule part in their stories thrills me now, and I know will thrill me then. I hope that's part of my treasure. So that's the first thing I'd say. Please encourage your people to be more generous for your sake and for theirs. The second thing, it's a mini, mini challenge to you. Can you be more generous to other ministries apart from your own? 
I know you make a massive difference. One of my great heroes in life is a man called George Muller. For those of you who don't know, George Muller was a Victorian German gentleman who God called to move to Bristol and God called to look after orphans. And in the course of his life, he looked after 10,000 orphans. He's one of the founding fathers of orphan care uh, in the UK. George Muller's life has two extraordinary elements to it. Number one, he never asked anybody for money and looking after 10,000 orphans costs a lot of money. The only person he asked was God. Every day he asked God. And God gave him 210 million pounds at today's prices. Now, why could God trust him so much? I think the second thing that makes Muller extraordinary is of the 210 million pounds that God gave him, he gave away to other ministries all across the world 70 million. One third he gave away. Do you know what Muller's legacy is? Because at some time he supported 200 missionaries in China. Muller's legacy isn't just what he's achieved in the UK. It's the growth of the Chinese church. Muller's legacy 150 years later is the 120 million Christians in China who were there because partly of what he funded. So my question to you is, are you not just serving your local communities? and your churches, but are you serving the global church? Because Western money can make a huge difference. Let's take the four million that we spent on our refurb in our church. If you invested one million and you gave it to my friend Ed and a charity called uh, 500K in India. India, do you know, has 500,000 villages with no Christian presence at all. One million there would support 500 full-time evangelists for three years and lead to the planting of between 1,000 and 1,500 churches. If you put one million to work in Africa, where so many families live on less than a dollar a day, and you gave it to a Christian charity called Five Talents, you'd actually support 10,000 women, the poorest of the poor, to be able to read and write and count and save and earn their way out of poverty. If you invested one million in Bible translation, because we know without the Bible you can't evangelize, and there are still two billion people on the planet with no translation of scripture in their heart language. If you invested just one million, you'd be able to translate the Bible for a people group of 20 million and make God's story accessible to them. And then if you were really strategic and you decided to use the internet to access the 12 least reached countries in the world. Do you know what one million would achieve if you gave it to Jesus.net, who are very smart at this stuff? You'd basically, in those 12 countries, enable the gospel to be seen 100 million times, which would lead to 200,000 people indicating that they wanted to come to Christ and to be followed up online. Think of the difference that four million can make around the world. The last thing I want to say is this. Thank you. For 50 years, I've sat in churches. I am pew fodder. We're not on the front line. And I want to say thank you to all of you because you have said yes to Jesus' call to serve on the front line in churches. And I don't think you get thanked enough. So thank you and bless you in everything you have done for his kingdom, in everything you are doing, and in everything you will do. Bless you. Now, do I agree with everything Richard said? I don't. I don't agree with that last bit he said. 
I don't think I'm on the front line any more than you. I think we're all on the front line. I think we're all called into God's army in order to make a difference in our world. And I don't want you to sit there thinking of what someone else should do, what the church should do, what the other church that you're from should do. I want you to simply ask the Holy Spirit, what should I do? I was convicted. Convicted again, listening to him again. What should I do, Holy Spirit, with my words? With my welcome, where can I be generous? And with my wealth. I'll guarantee you this. This is my story. This is what it says in Proverbs 11. Let me read it to you. This is the, word, this is the scripture that we want to go with our statement for the year. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. It's exactly what he said when he read it. You've got to keep it in circulation. You've got to keep it flowing. And you'll be blessed. I guarantee you, blessed. That's the God we serve. Your world will expand in relationships. Your world will extend, expand with friendships. Your world will expand in positivity of words that you hear rather than the negativity that we're bombarded with day in and day out. And God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Will you stand with me? Two things I just want to say. Number one, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I'm going to pause for a moment. Listen. Listen to his voice. What do you need to do? Do you need to change? Spirit, I believe you're speaking to us. And our response is, we will change. We want to obey you. We're here not to play games, but to reach our world. And we're part of a world that needs you. So we want to say yes, Lord. In your name, amen. Still with the heads bowed, eyes closed. The second thing I want to say is this. Do you know Jesus? Have you received in your heart his generous love? God is love. If you haven't, I'm going to pray a prayer now. There's a prayer devotion. We know some people come week in, week out, hear this, and then say, next week I'm going to respond. And that's okay. Might have been a journey for you. Maybe today, first Sunday in the New Year, is your day. Saying yes to Jesus. 
For some, it may be a recommitment. Beginning of the year, you're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be serious about this. I'm going to follow Jesus with all my heart. He gave everything for me. I'm going to give my love to him. Make him your first love. And it's all prayed out loud, church. We're going to pray it out loud to help those doing it for the first time. At the end, if you respond, just raise your hand, and we'd love to give you a Gospel of Luke with some Bible reading aids in there to help you that we've given 240 already at Christmas time. We'd love to add that to you, give you this Gospel of Luke for you to take away and read. Pray this with me. Say this out loud. Come on. Lord Jesus, thank you for your generous love. Thank you that you went to the cross to take my punishment. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. Forgive my past. Give me a new start. I want to be born again. In your name I pray. Amen. Still the heads bowed, eyes closed. You prayed that first time as a recommitment. You just raise your hand wherever you are. One of the team down here will give you the gospel of Luke. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you that we never tire of hearing those that have given their life to you. We love you and appreciate you. Amen. Come on, let's sing a song of worship. Thank you for listening to the C3 Podcast. This message has spoken to you today in some way. We would love to know. Reach out to us at hello at the c3.uk. And if you want to extend the reach of what we do here, why not consider giving by going to the c3.uk forward slash giving. And as always, subscribe to our channel and share this episode with a friend. We hope to see you soon.